Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rusty Quill presents.
something's not right. Again, but it's not with Ostium. It's with me. I'm not right. Something's wrong with me. I'm really fucking scared. I'm, I'm, I'm recording this while Monica's out. She said she wanted to take a walk downtown, clear her head or something, and look at some of the doors. I said, sure. Gives me time to do a recording, private recording, about what's happening to me, or at least what I think's happening to me. Okay. Today began like it has for the last couple of days, with me waking up in Monica's bed next to Monica, and she's usually naked, as I am, which is totally awesome. Sorry, definitely still enjoying this honeymoon period of great sex that I hope never ends. But it's weird. I feel different in the mornings now, when I wake up. I don't want to talk to Monica about it, at least not yet. Maybe down the road a bit, when I can make more sense of it, I might. It just seems superficial right now, like it's not really something to get all worked up about, even though that's exactly what I'm doing, because I just don't feel right, right in my mind, in my right mind. Things are hazy and fuzzy, like a bunch of pink cotton candy got stuffed into my skull. And then, as things start to clear, I find I can't remember things exactly, or as well as I did the day before. All the important stuff is there just fine. My history, memories of my life before Ostium, my family, my work, all the thousands of books I've read, <laughs> even the bad ones, unfortunately. There goes that photographic memory again. Hey, come on, I haven't mentioned it in a while. It's the more recent stuff that's iffy. The really recent stuff about Ostium. I remember all the doors and all the important stuff about Ostium, except <clears throat> what I need to remember that I can't anymore. It's to do with how Ostium was making me feel. Hmm, not sure what effect Ostium was having on me. Something about what I thought of Ostium, going through those doors, finding the artifact, bringing it back, putting it in the map table. There's a price that's exacted on something or someone to be doing this. I know I've thought of it recently through the laws of nature. You know those, right? The one about every action having an equal and opposite reaction. And the other one about energy and how you can't ever destroy energy, just transform it into something else. Well, I feel like I've thought about this in relation to Ostium on a number of occasions. I even feel like I've talked with Monica about it. But it's like it's not there anymore. I can't remember the details or salient points or what I was trying to say about it. They're just blurs now, hazy intuitions that tell me nothing. And the real reason this has got me so freaked out is because even though I can't remember this stuff, I can remember something else that's way more scary. I can remember that yesterday I didn't remember this stuff at first, but then I worked at it to try to jog my memory, and then I did remember it. And now... On this new day, it's all gone again. I don't know why, and I've been trying since I woke up, so 
for like two hours to remember it and it's just not there anymore or I can't access it. So yesterday I couldn't remember but then I made myself remember. Today I can't even do that and I'm fucking terrified about it. I don't know what's going on. I don't... I don't know what's happening to me. Okay. I think I've made my point for now. Oh, and I hear Monica coming back, so I need to pull it together and go find out where the next door is. I've got a moment while Monica takes a quick shower, and then we're going to head out for the next door. When she got back, I had a quick chat about me doing some live recordings. Her immediate reaction was a big fucking no. She wants to keep out of all that stuff and focus on getting the artifacts and getting the hell out of there before the blackness starts coming in like a racing San Francisco fog. He's called Carl, by the way. The fog of the city by the bay. And find Steve. I cooled down a bit and explained myself. I said it's hard at the end of the day to remember every single detail and thing that happened, especially if there's a lot of shit going on. Now talking and narrating it as it's happening might help me figure out why Ostium is doing this to me and constantly putting me in pieces of my past. It's pretty much convinced her, but I added some icing about how I always end up doing my spiel in front of her once I recognize where we are, and what's the harm in recording it as it happens? It'll save me having to repeat myself later and try to remember what I said. Plus, doing it then and there always makes me remember and monologue it way better. I reminded her about the guided tour of the Catalina Casino building, courtesy of yours truly. <laughs> this got me a smile. As for recording, I can set my phone to record, and I've noticed before that it picks up sound really well, even when it's in my pocket. Impressively well. Like, there's something helping it record that clearly, or there's something perhaps supernatural about the recording app I use. Maybe it's those ostium waves buzzing around us all the time. Who knows? The other big reason I want to start doing this is because of the stuff I talked about earlier with my memory issues. Some weird shit's been going on with me and I don't know what's causing it, but I do know recording everything as it happens like this can only help me try to figure it out and ultimately help get my memory back. There's also one point I have to make real quick before I run out of time and let my subconscious slap me for even thinking of saying this, but what if Monica has something to do with it? What if she's causing this to happen to me? I know, I know, it sounds crazy, what with all the sex and how great we are together and how it really seems like I make her happy. I know she makes me happy, and we're a team, so... It's a couple hundred miles beyond far-fetched, and yet, I just don't know. It's a big if. But it's still an if. On our way to the door, I let Monica know my prediction, that this door will lead us somewhere in the future. And how do you know that? I tell her about the pattern Ostium's been following so far. A door into the past, followed by another door into the past, then a door into the future, and then a door from my own past. So now we're due for a door from the future? Yep. And tomorrow, if all goes well, we'll be taking a trip down your memory lane. Uh, yeah. As you say, if, uh, if all goes well. 
I'll call your bluff. Let's see. I lead us to a door in the east wall of Ostium. It's number 201. I grab her hard, open the door, and we go in together. It closes behind us, and there's just darkness. I swear it lasts a second or two longer than usual, testing us. Or as Monica would say, It's just Ostium fucking with us. Then there's a whooshing sound, and the door in front of us splits open into two doors, each side receding into the wall. Before us is a whole lot of metal, metal walls, metal ceiling, metal floor. I hear a humming. There's some sort of indirect lighting that you can't really see, and yet you can see the hall in front of us just fine. I step out, not wanting the doors to close on us, and somehow trap us in some sort of ostium limbo. I actually shiver at this thought. Yeah, let's not get stuck here. Monica says, joining me. Within a single look, we both know the same thing. The hallway we're standing in is awesomely futuristic. I should have made you place a bet on my prediction. She just gives me a look. Too soon, I guess. It's a hallway of doors, as hallways tend to be. Though, these doors are all cool Star Trek-looking ones that wish open as you approach them. But it all feels kind of overwhelming here. Our door has remained open for a bit and now closes once we move away from it. Ostium is printed across it in big red letters, so we'll be able to see it from pretty far away. I walk up to another door. It opens and gives me a view of another hallway with lots of other doors. I try a few more, Monica tagging along, and we find more of the same. This is starting to tell me that we're either in a really big spaceship, like that George R. R. Martin short story series, No, not the one about knights and dragons and Westeros. It was about this crazy spaceman called Tuff and his travels across the galaxy in a ship that was literally multiple kilometers long. Alternatively, we could uh, be on something like a space station or a settled planet with future tech, or something else entirely. My mind is flipping through the science fiction ideas and possibilities I've read, like John Cusack flipping through his vinyl in the High Fidelity movie. I'm also very excited about being here and the possibilities of what we're actually standing on. Why is your hand so sweaty? Um, and then I tell her where we could be. So basically this is a sci-fi wet dream for you. (laughs) Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Then I see a box-like shape on the right wall ahead. I jog up to it. It has a small viewer panel in the front like you're supposed to lean in and look at it, or look through it, maybe, to see what's on the other side. Maybe I'll be able to get an idea where we are, or at least see what space looks like on the other side of this wall. I put my face up to the viewer panel, and a frame extends out to block out light and allows me to focus better. I rest my face against the frame, which is supportive and comfortable. What I see on the other side defies my logic at first. I just can't wrap my mind around what I'm seeing because it takes time. I pull away and look at Monica with a dry, lake bed of frown lines on my forehead. Let me take a look, Brainiac. She peers in and watches for about ten seconds, and she pulls away. I don't get it. It's a big, bright ball. Really bright. Really big. Is it like the opposite of the Death Star or something? I just shake my head, my brain working in overdrive, going through those science fiction ideas now like a flip book. 
And then I suddenly find what I'm looking for. No, it's much more than that. Though 100 points to Gryffindor for the Star Trek reference. I believe that's Star Wars. Another 100 points. I was testing you. No, it's not just a big bright ball. It's a fucking star. We're in a Dyson sphere. The Dyson Sphere is one of those distant future science fiction ideas, you know, along with teleporters and FTL drives. That's faster than light for you Luddites. The kind we're not going to see in our lifetimes. But then neither will our grandchildren or our great-great-grandchildren. It's named after the physicist and mathematician Freeman Dyson. He formalized the concept in 1960 in a paper for the journal Science entitled search for artificial stellar sources of infrared radiation. But let's keep it simple and straightforward. For us idiot tourists? I'm just not going to touch that. Not with the ten-foot pole. Not even to try and make a joke out of it. It's the concept about the distant future civilization. If we're talking about Earth and humanity, we're looking at at least a few thousand years in the future. It's basically an extremely technologically advanced civilization that's also, like, super massive. A population in the trillions, probably. And they've conquered the galaxy. If we look at our planet again, we're talking about expanding beyond our solar system, and we've colonized and live on every planet, moon, meteor, and asteroid that we can safely inhabit. We're talking more advanced than Star Trek, and more advanced than Star Wars. It's all about power and energy. When you're running a galactic empire, you need a lot of juice to keep it going. And what has more energy in the universe than a star? Dyson's idea was to create some sort of containment and contraption around this star. So we're talking massive size, and this Dyson sphere would somehow harness the energy of the star. That sounds... <laughs> yeah. Imagine a homogeneous solar panel that's big enough to encircle a star. We're talking about a Boku amount of wattage. And that's where we are? Inside a Dyson Sphere? Yeah, I'm pretty sure from what I can see through the viewer. It's always been a theoretical concept. Some science fiction authors have used it, like Larry Niven, Frederick Pohl, and Robert J. Sawyer. In TV, there was actually an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that featured a Dyson Sphere from an alien civilization. I think it was called Relics. You think? I can't help smiling. No, actually, I know it was called that. Actually, Dyson himself said he was partly inspired by the works of Olaf Stapledon and Edgar Rice Burroughs, to name a few, before he came up with his eponymous sphere. Come on. I lead the way up the corridor, waiting to see as much of this place as I can before we run out of time. It actually feels like being on an episode of Star Trek, except those were all sets, and this is the real deal. But... This means we're surrounded by technology that's millennia into our future. At the same time, this place is huge. Massive. We have to be constructive in how we look around. As usual, the most important thing is to locate and collect the artifact. So that's what I'm focusing on. I take a deep breath, clear my mind, and concentrate on where I'm being drawn. Monica knows what I'm doing, and now she's frowning at me as I narrate this. I'm peeking at her. It's kind of cute. And now I've got a smile. Back to honing in. I can feel it, 
that gentle pull I've become so familiar and comfortable with, drawing me along. We pass through a door as it whooshes open, then another, and then another. We go through five doors, and it feels like each successive room we enter, I can see more details of this incredible advanced civilization and want to spend valuable time studying it, but can't. Plus, Monica is ready to drag me along if I start to dawdle. And then we're in a hangar-sized room. It's just overwhelmingly huge. And I'm immediately reminded of that exhibit room in the base on Mars with pieces of Earth's past and its exploration of the Red Planet. Here are their displays and tables and glass cases like little glass houses showcasing the civilization's history. We're passing between them and I'm just catching snippets, objects of history I can't quite recognize, data pads and screens displaying information. I think I catch sight of what might be ancient, brittle paper. That's when I start wondering, what if? Could it be? Then I see a display about 20 feet away in a glass case. It's a photo, a big photo. I recognize it all too well. My legs turn cold, then to jelly, and I collapse to the floor. I haven't felt like this since I went through the infinity door back in the office where I worked. Because I've just witnessed an impossibility, something that simply should not be. Monica didn't see it, but like before, she's there by my side helping me. What was it? I raised a shaking arm and try to lift a finger, but can't. I point my chin in the general direction, and Monica helps me walk over. The closer we get, the clearer it is to me. After a few steps, Monica recognizes who's in the photo, slows down. She looks at me, but doesn't understand. I don't either. But I keep going, pulling her along more now that she's helping me. We reach it, and I stare in both confusion and awe at a giant-sized photo of me. One of my old Facebook profile pics. I think Brandon took it. Maybe it was a selfie. Holy shit. It was. Like, one of the first and only ones I ever took of myself. The fuck is it doing in a museum thousands of years in the future? Fortunately, there's a screen below the photo of me with a big block of text. Even more fortunately, it's in English. I don't need to start reading it to know that the star this Dyson Sphere is encircling is ours. The sun. Soul. The one belonging to our solar system. And then Monica and I start reading. Jake Matthew Fisher, a savior of humanity? In a time of strife and suffering, where the number of dead was an everyday mounting number, there was purportedly one who changed that, who helped those in need, who rescued those who were lost. There's a period now, deep in our history, millennia ago, where much of the history and knowledge has been lost. But this is one story that has survived across the ages, carried through time and across space by word of mouth, by text, by subsonic message, who knows? We no longer know the when or the how, or even the why. All we know is the what. The what. What records we have are vague and their accuracy is in question. But sometime during the earlier part of the 21st century, planet Earth was hit with a bizarre series of catastrophic events that seemed to come out of nowhere. They occurred unexpectedly and at random across the globe. It is unknown exactly how many people died from each horrific event. But that number was 
at the minimum in the thousands and likely reached into the tens and potentially hundreds of thousands. The events. While this is not thought to be a complete list of the catastrophic events experienced by our home planet during these troublesome times, this list is as complete as possible. Any further events or details discovered will be added to this list as needed. Original terminology has been used for these events. You can research further using your datapad in the museum application. Radiation. Due to a nuclear plant malfunction, a radioactive cloud spread across the continent of Europe. Virus. A devastating new strain of the Ebola virus erupted in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Earthquake. A tectonic tremor of a level never seen before occurred in the western Pacific Ocean, generating a record-sized tsunami or tidal wave that swept across Japan and the east coast of China. Tanker. A ship carrying crude oil ran aground along the south coast of Britain, and the polluting oil reached the coasts of France and Spain. United States. A series of mass disappearances struck the United States of America during this time, specifically the state of California, where it is thought Jake lived. The concept of people or groups of people going missing has a deep and disturbing history throughout the world. Some notable ones include the lost colony of Roanoke in the United States, a sailing vessel called the Mary Celeste in the Atlantic Ocean, an island off the coast of California called Catalina had its entire population suddenly disappear. The great city of San Francisco had a mass of its people in the center suddenly vanish. The northern California coastal town of Fort Bragg somehow suffered a similar fate when all of its people simply vanished. All these strange disappearances don't seem to relate to the aforementioned catastrophic events. According to the literature, they are always mentioned together. The Legend As with all stories that had their genesis moment long ago and have been passed down through time via various means, the question of their veracity always comes into consideration. But what can perhaps be considered a tenant of these tales, these legends and fables, is at the heart there is an important kernel of truth. With the story of Jake Matthew Fisher, it is perhaps impossible to separate the fact from fiction, so here we give you the whole story as we have been able to deduce from the research. Again, if you research yourself, you'll find a multitude of alternate, parallel, and conflicting theories on this enigmatic and mysterious person. We seek here to present you with the simplest and most concrete version of the tale. At some point after all these strange and terrible events, it is unclear how much time, whether months or years or decades or perhaps even centuries, all the people were somehow, suddenly and irrevocably returned to life and restored to where they lived. One moment they were gone, non-existent, and the next they were brought back. The catastrophic events, the damage, all was undone as if it had never happened, and all those many, many people were hale and healthy again. What Jake Matthew Fisher had to do with this, that remains unknown and mysterious. But for every single one of these people that came back, his name was the first word on their lips. I was dumbstruck and awestruck, dumbstruck, any kind of struck you could think of. I just didn't know how to take it. 
I felt like Harry Potter finding out it was up to him to defeat Voldemort. Yeah, I said his name. Or Frodo, learning that he would have to travel to Mordor to destroy the One Ring. My precious. Or Luke, or Leia, finding out that he or she was the one. There is another. Hope. I fucking felt like King Ralph, finding out that he was next in line to become King of England. It was impossible, inconceivable, and overwhelming. And not me. Not me. Not me. I can't do it. It's too much. It's too fucking much. Jake. Jake. You need to calm down. I mean, if it's me, if it's all me, all me, I... I have to make the right decision, the exact right decision, to be precise, infinitesimally perfect, to make it all so that all events slot perfectly into play. The ultimate fucking domino fall across time and space. But... But... If I don't get it right, if I don't get it right, exactly right, then history will be different. History will be changed, and all the people won't somehow miraculously come back to life. They'll be dead forever, and it'll be my fault, all my fault, all on me. And and that means that the present will be changed, because if you change the past, then the present gets changed. And that means it affects us here and right fucking now and if that happens then maybe we'll just completely fucking cease to exist and that's when a part of me comes back to reality the part of me that's able to speak in complete sentences right now and sees monica watching me lose it watching me completely break down and that's when i watch her reach into her pockets and take out these silvery looking gloves she slips them on with ease like she's done it a thousand times before and she holds her hands a foot apart and this bright white beam of electricity passes between them sparking and snapping like the ultimate bug zapper she looks at me and i can't hear what she says because it's so noisy and i'm simultaneously losing my mind but i'm able to read her lips i'm sorry jake and then she comes at me fast and everything go Man, I'm fuzzy again. Extra fuzzy. What the fuck happened to me? pulling myself into a sitting up position the world spins for a second and then settles like it suddenly remembered the fundamental law of gravity i'm in bed in the clock tower in ostium what happened and then i see monica come in with a glass of water and a drink as she explained it all to me we went through one of the doors 201 i think and you said we were in a thing called a dyson sphere you were nerding out pretty hard giving me the full tour. You were honing in on the artifact, said you knew it was in this room, and you found it. This little metal ball looked like a ping-pong ball-sized Death Star, and then you turned white, white as fucking milk. I ran to you, but you collapsed before I could reach you. Smacked your head on the ground something hard. It made my head ache just hearing it. You were out cold, and then I heard the blackness coming fast because you weren't doing your magic trick with it so i didn't waste time threw you over my shoulder like the combat soldier i am and hoofed it back through the door to here you've been out for about 2 hours but you still look like shit
Thanks. I feel like it. I look at my pale arms. My skin feels clammy. I'm sweaty, hot and cold. I'm going to let you rest now. Catch some shut-eye. If you sleep through the night. Good. Thanks, I say again, laying my head back down on the pillow. There's a strange look in her eyes. It's like she's happy to see me, but not completely. She also looks scared. I don't get it. She leaves, closing the door quietly. As I feel sleep taking its hold over me again, I think. I think about how everything Monica just told me means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because I can't remember a single thing. And this feels like it's not the first time it's happened. I'm so fucking scared. episode contains depictions of graphic imagery. This is where Ostium turns into a horror story for an episode. It's not for the faint of heart. The fearful and squeamish should turn back now. It's dark. Oh, so dark. But I can smell. I can hear. Dark. Drippy. Putrescent. I scrabble for Monica's hand in the black and find it, holding on tight. The crunching of gravel beneath our feet is both comforting and eerie. You can feel it on the sole of your shoe, but also hear those tiny pebbles grinding together to make grains of sand. But in this dark place of strange sounds and unfamiliar smells, it doesn't belong. It isn't comforting. It's a disembodied sound that you just want to go away. Then we're out of the tunnel we didn't know we were in. For the first time coming through a door, it's dark out. No bright shiny sun and blue skies. It's the all-covering blanket of darkness with a billion tiny star holes in the firmament. The orchestra of crickets are rubbing their legs together, creating their unique song. I take a deep breath and know where we are. Sort of. We're by the sea. I can smell the tang of brine and kelp, taste the salty vapor in the air. Now we can hear the gentle susurrus of waves on the nearby beach, drawing in its essence and then throwing it back upon the sand. It's like the opposite of a mirage. You can't see it, but you can hear it. An auditory mirage. We walk along the path parallel to the beach, our shoes continuing a syncopated crunching and almost crackling. It's quite different from the tunnel of the unknown. This is almost relaxing, restful. 
The temperature is just right, balmy from the sea, but not too hot or humid. At times, there's the faintest crackle of a breeze, just enough to cool you down. As our eyes become accustomed to the night sky, an iridescent glow makes itself known in the direction of those waves crashing into the beach. It's a greeny-blue blend sparkling in the water, mixing in with the foam. It has a life of its own. Phosphorescent algae. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I saw it for the first time when I stayed up at Fort Bragg with my ex. It was like a year ago. We rented this house we found on Airbnb that was right on the beach. It's gorgeous. A couple of bedrooms, though we only needed one. Nice-sized bathtub, big living room with comfy chairs and an awesome deck where you could sit back, put your feet up, and get lost in a good book. Or other things. I take it this was the lovely Anne. (laughs) Or other things. And yes, it was a great place to just forget about the world. And you could walk straight out onto the beach. It wasn't a private beach, but might as well have been. We had it all to ourselves. And you could go straight up to the waters. What? I think, holy shit, I think this might be the place. Jake, it's fucking dark. I know, I know, but I, I just feel. Look, let's keep walking. The path winds and curves for some time, and we just enjoy our senses doing what they do best, sampling this world and life. The moon reveals itself with an increasing glow that has us confused and wondering, but once that shimmering thumbnail peeks over the hills, all is made clear. As more of its perfect shape is revealed, we realize it's going to be full and gorgeous. It almost seems too big to be the full moon rising in the night sky. But then, I remember, this is when the moon appears largest. It's a perfect pearl making its way across the cosmos of stars that are innumerable and endless. And as the moon continues to rise, it bequeaths its light to us, guiding our way and granting us the gift of sight in this night of blackness and dark. In but a short while, the house up ahead is shown, like the poignant detail of a book that's made known to a reader with the turning of the page. I study its profile, its topography, the facade I'm able to make out. Yes, it's the same house. I'm reminded of the confrontation with Brandon during that last time I went back to my former home. How he'd put me on the spot as I tried to tell him the truth he wouldn't believe. In the end, I'd concocted a lie, but the fabrication contained mostly truth as I think on it now. At the time, it felt like a fictional idea I'd pulled out of thin air. And now, here I am, again. Here we are, back in this place I didn't expect to visit again. But I know Ostium has other plans than relaxation and enjoyment, as it was the last time I was here. The path makes a new turn angling away from the beach and the cold Pacific round to the front of the house. Bordering the front yard is a white picket fence. This wasn't part of the original house. In this ghostly lunar light, it looks like a rampart of bones forming a protective wall around the house. But is this osteopalisade keeping something out? Or trapping something within? There's no gate at the bony center, just a hole. Monica's face is no longer as relaxed as when we first found ourselves at the beach, but then neither is mine. 
I lead the way past the white tents and up a new narrow path. Jake, I need to tell you something. Something that happens... Hang on a second, Monica. As we're walking, I'm hearing a crunching and crackling. They're not stones or shells. Unable to stop myself, I look down and try to identify what we're walking on in the moonlight. Insects. Millions and millions of dead insects. Many kinds. Cockroaches, beetles, grasshoppers, praying mantises, centipedes. None are moving. But this doesn't help my now gravely weakened courage. I look to Monica, who knows what I'm doing, forgetting what she was going to say for the moment. The sound our shoes make with each step makes it clear whatever we're walking on is unnatural. I just shake my head. don't want to know. I wish I could unknow. Then I stop. To either side of this strange path of crunching carapaces are a few tombstones of varying sizes and slanting at different angles. Like the unnerving path, these are not part of the original architecture of this abode. I can read the carvings on the stone easily. Perhaps because there is more moonlight, or because Ostium is wanting me to know what is inscribed upon these pieces of rock. Oh, how I wish I could sponge away the writing upon these gray stones. R.I.P. Catalina, says one. In memory of San Francisco, says another. An ancient-looking one filled with cracks and looking ready to turn into a pile of pebbles proclaims... May you never be forgotten, O lost colony of Roanoke. Another, equally ancient, dripping with briny moisture, an anchor carved at its apex, reads, Never forget the lost souls of the Mary Celeste. There's one final one before we make it to the wide wooden stairs that will lead us to the front door. It's clean and fresh and polished with three words. Remember Fort Bragg. Something about this last tombstone seems familiar to me, but I'm unable to ascertain what. We ascend the stairs, which bend and groan like living human beings. At the top, we stop, happy to have those horrible sounds cease. But it's clear that this long, dark night is far from over. The door seems larger than I remember, and far more menacing. Oil slick black with a shininess in which I can almost see my face. I grasp the handle, then look at Monica. Ready? She gives me a nod. I take a deep breath, turn the handle, and push the door open. If at any point I had been hoping for a silent entry, it's now rendered futile. The creaking wail of wood that the door screams at me feels equal to a hundred haunted doors and a hundred haunted houses and a hundred haunted realms. Not only are goose pimples raised all over my body now, but my fingernails, teeth, hell, it feels like every one of my vertebrae are tingling. As if this wasn't enough, a long, drawn-out ghost moan erupts from the door. It makes me think of that scene in Ghostbusters 2 when Ray, Egan, and Winston were walking along an old abandoned railway line within the bowels of New York City, and this horrible voice calls out Winston's name. Makes me think of how that scene fucking terrified me as a kid on through my teenage years, especially when the ghost train comes out of nowhere and passes right through the Ghostbuster. Jake, do we really need to... I know exactly how she feels. I don't want to either. The artifact is in the house, somewhere. I have to. But if you want to stay... No fucking way. 
I've got your back the whole damn way. I smile, raise my fist. She bumps it. We step inside the house and it feels huge and old and really fucking haunted. It's like a combination of Disneyland's Haunted Mansion times 10 combined with the TARDIS from Doctor Who. You know, bigger on the inside. Much bigger. The outside may have borne a resemblance to the house I once stayed in with my ex-girlfriend in the wonderful town of Fort Bragg, but this place we've entered is a hundred percent ostium and a million percent otherworldly. I think they call it a landing. I don't know. It's a space right by the front door with stairs that lead to the second floor and doors showing the way to adjoining rooms. I touch Monica's elbow to get her attention, not really wanting to make any more noise than necessary in this place, then give her the halt sign. I close my eyes and focus, trying to narrow down the location of the artifact, but it's different. Different from any door we've gone through so far. Different from how I usually do this, especially when I was just starting to feel confident about this part of the ostium job. I can't tell where the mental pull is coming from to lead me to the artifact, because it's coming from multiple directions, and not just two or three, but more like between five and ten. There are lots of cranial attractions going on, telling me to come here, check this out. Wait, no, no, over here. Hey, me first. They're all equally strong and equally demanding, and since I'm already dealing with holding the blackness at bay, which so far is being quiet and obedient, it's quite frankly impossible to tell. Shaking my head in confusion, I direct us to one of the open doorways. If we're going to have to check every part of this house, we might as well get started. We don't exactly have all the time in the world. And then a small part of my brain reminds me that, according to the ongoing door schedule, whenever the artifact for this particular door is found and placed, something big in ostium may happen. The last time it was an earthquake that caused a giant crack through the center of the town to open like the gates of hell. We're in the other room, and unlike the landing, there's no light on. I can't see a thing. Jake. Jake, I have to tell you something about the future. There's a strong smell in the room, something metallic. I want to hear what Monica has to tell me, but the smell is overbearing. The hell is it? Okay, Monica, let's find out about this room first. Attempting something new, I reach to the wall and look for the light switch. I find it covered in something noticeably wet and sticky. Not sure if it'll work, I flip it. The room is bathed in a sickly yellow light, like those days that are hazy and worn out, as if the sun has some weird filter covering it, or the zombie rising has begun. But that's not what's wrong with the kitchen that we're standing in. It also explains that wet stickiness. Fuck, I yell while Monica lets out a longer... God damn. Blood. In vast amounts. Blood everywhere. Blood on the walls, the cabinets, the ceiling, the floor. The sink is a full tub of blood. The stove, in addition to being covered in the red stuff, is also oozing more of its gas burners, while the oven door below has more of the dark, viscous fluid running from its edges. I can't help thinking of that scene in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. It's like a fucking dump truck of blood has just got emptied in here. Then the smell hits me, heavy, meaty, coppery, rancid, of something that was alive, 
but is no longer. Then I see and hear the flocks, big black blobs circling around, landing here and there in the blood and taking off again in search of meat or tissue, something solid that isn't quite blood. One of the flies comes over to us and lands on Monica's cheek. I swat it away, making sure not to hit her. There's a red smear on her cheek, and by my look, she knows it's there and begins vigorously rubbing it away. Not here. We're getting the fucking hell out of here, I say, grabbing her arm and dragging her out. Back on the landing, it feels like returning to a semblance of normal life, but it isn't. The light is still on in the kitchen. The crimson landscape is still an eyesore that can't really be avoided. I give us 30 seconds, then stretch it out to a minute. Then it's time for the other doorway, which, as its opposite, is dark. Forcing myself, I walk into the dark room. Monica follows eventually. I try the same experiment again, wary and simply outright scared. My wandering hand finds this room's light and flicks it on. It's a dining room with an unsurprising dining table at its center. Curtain windows frame the dining table on two sides. What is both surprising, unexpected, and very much unwanted are the occupants seated at the table. There are five of them, two on either side of the table with one seated at its head. There's an empty seat at the opposite end. The men are dressed in military uniform, and I don't need Monica to tell me that these five men are members of the squad that paid a visit to Ostium sometime in what feels like the Cretaceous period, and then blindly went through one of Ostium's ill-fated doors. What is wrong with these men is that they are all headless, decapitated. The rough, jaggy skin flap edges of their necks are as clear as the empty serving dish in the center of the dining table. The wound cauterized and blackened, sawed off veins, arteries, and severed spinal column, easily recognizable. Upon the plates before each of these five men are their severed heads their faces placed so that they're looking at their headless bodies. Each of the faces bears a look of sheer terror. It's clear that these men died of fright first, before their heads were removed. Monica may have shown little emotion towards these men, and after what had been done to her and Steve, it may have been even somewhat warranted, but seeing them end up like this, it takes a toll on both of us, obviously. But I could tell Monica was being eaten up inside. This was beyond horrific, and she had to be blaming herself right now. Neither of us could have ever predicted such a fate for these men, and we don't know what actions they chose once they passed through the door. They must have done something to end up in this world, and to end up like this. I just stand there, my mouth open, not believing, except the decapitated proof is sitting there in front of me, their heads further concrete evidence of the unfathomable tableau of this room. Monica's eyes are weeping, twin trails running down the sides of her face, while the eyes stay wide open as she forces herself to watch, her hands covering her mouth to stop any sounds coming out. I'm the first to move, to slowly close my mouth and take a step back, then the rest of the actions come easier. I grab Monica's arm and simultaneously flick off the light switch. Although the room is flooded with darkness, the unforgettable image is still scored upon our retinas. But it does help. A little. 
Then I drag her out of the nightmare room and back onto the landing where life remains normal and almost serene. There's a warm light from a decorative chandelier above. A small table against a wall for keys, change, and other everyday ordinary life ephemera. I find it grounding. Look, Monica, no keys or cell phone. Guess nobody's home. Monica looks, her eyes staring but perhaps not seeing, like someone who hasn't slept in three days and is just working on automatic. Then they do focus and it works. Were you really expecting someone? (laughs) Of course not. But a guy can hope, right? (laughs) Time to check what's uh, waiting for us on the second floor. She mumbles something noncommittal. We start ascending and... Each step makes a sound like a bodybuilder bending a two-by-four one way and then the other. I really hope there's no snapping sound. The stairs are also lit by the chandelier, and we take our time going up together, trying our best to somehow get over what we just saw, or at least compartmentalize it some way. Push it away to the back of our minds, where it will remain hidden and fester, but at least be out of the way for now as we face our next challenge. The repetitive creaking of the stairs is almost hypnotic and we absorb whatever catharsis we can from this now-rendered ordinary sound. It's kind of a good mind-clearer, like when you're trying out different scents and then take a whiff of coffee beans to clear your nasal palate. Or in this case, your mental palate. Then we're at the top, the second floor, and out of time. Our reluctance is equal, so there's at least something we can share in this place. Any change with the artifact's location? I shake my head. Still feels like it's in a bunch of places. Could it be in pieces like before? Mm, I don't know. It doesn't feel like that time. This feels different. Almost like it's a smokescreen. Trying to trick me into thinking where it might be. Like, Like it wants us to check every door. Which we're going to do anyway. Yeah, unfortunately. The upstairs hallway is dimly lit by the complete opposite of the beautiful hanging chandelier on the landing. There's a single twisted wire hanging from the ceiling around the middle of the hallway with a single naked bulb dangling from it. Somehow it's swinging side to side like it's on a pendulum or a metronome. The effect is every horror movie director's wet dream. Shadows spinning and morphing and changing into every nightmare imaginable. Was that a misshapen monster coming toward us? A curled human form dragging itself closer? Something oozing along the floor? I know I've got a headache a-brewing from this fucked light show, and the way Monica's shielding her eyes with her hands to try to help means she's headed down the same migraine path. We need to speed this up, get this over with, however bad it's going to be. If you want to wait here, I'll check the rooms. Not on your fucking life. We're not splitting up in this place. I thought you were a horror movie buff. What's the first rule? <laughs> yeah, don't split up. Right. And I need to do this. I feel like this door is a test for me, as well as you. Steve might be on the other side of any of these doors. You're right. I'm sorry. But if he's like any of those other guys... I'm going to lose my shit. Me too. Come on. 
There are four doors, all on the same side of the hallway. I open the first door. It's dark like the others. It feels like the artifact is in here, just like all the others, including the ones downstairs we already checked out. Nothing's changed. I find the light switch in the same place as the others. At least something's standard here. The light turns on and we wait five seconds to take in the scene. It's a library, bookcases on three walls, a window on the last. In the center of the room is a desk with miscellaneous piles and old books and pens and quills and paper, a mishmash of everything escritorial. Behind the desk is a chair, and that chair is a man in camo fatigue slumped over on the desk. His arms are on either side of his head. His face is turned to the side, watching us where we stand just inside the door. Buried in his skull is a 16-inch machete, part of the long knife sticking out with the yellow-white ivory handle. Grooves that are brown and dirty with age. The rest of the knife has gone through the man's head and buried itself in the wooden table to hold him there. There's a little blood, a dried, dark red trickle running across his forehead and pooling on the table. The blood on the table is a lighter red, still a little wet because there's more of it there. What this tells us is it didn't happen that long ago. I turn to Monica. Her look is hardened, but her eyes are glassy, wet, holding back tears. It's not him. Good enough. I turn off the light and we leave, closing the door behind us. The next room. Light is turned on. We take it in. Then we turn to each other, wanting to look away from what we're seeing. We put our heads together, holding each other, not wanting to hug, because that will force one of us to rest their head on his shoulder and be facing this. The room is stark, bare, no furniture, just white walls. In the center of the room is an electric table saw, the biggest one I've ever seen. On, on the floor are two halves of a man. They're spread about four feet apart. The insides of both halves are falling out like an open, tipped-over can of chili or spaghettios. No cauterizing here. It's set up to infer that the man did this horrific act to himself suicide to never be forgotten I don't know what Monica's thinking but I know this guy didn't do this to himself no matter what's been happening to him on this side of Ostium he would never choose to end his life this way someone or something did this to him Monica takes one more look at the face and then drags me out of the room I go willingly two down two to go it feels like they've been getting worse but other than knowing that there's probably two more dead and disfigured bodies we have to face there's no real way to prepare yourself for this Monica opens the third door and turns on the light switch slowly but once that electricity gets sent to the tungsten, it goes, well, <laughs> at the speed of light. Except that the room doesn't light up with white, but red, with blood. <laughs> <laughs>
because there's blood on the light bulb, blood everywhere. It's a bedroom, or it was a bedroom, a bed, bedside table, chest of drawers, but everything is covered in dripping viscous blood, and also parts, body parts, big pieces, small pieces, here and there and everywhere. You don't let your eyes focus on it too much because then you might be able to identify what body part it originally belonged to. But there are also some um, ropes, stringy, twisting vines that can only be intestines. What is all here may once have been a complete human being, likely a man, but it's very hard to tell. There are also small pieces of burgundy cloth these were washed and clean they might be camouflage colors and I see it on the floor a couple yards away from me it's the only piece in the room that isn't covered in blood it's an eyeball I also know now more than any room in this house so far that it's the artifact I don't let Monica know I just take one careful big step into the room Jake, what the fuck? I reach down and pick up the eyeball like it's a delicate egg. It's hard. Hard like an eyeball isn't. Because this really is the artifact. Now that I have it close, I can see where there should be a pupil. There's a black O for ostium. It's the artifact. I carefully step back, my foot peeling off the floor like it's attached to flypaper. I ground the sole of my shoe into the carpeted floor to clean off what blood I can. Then I close the door and we're done with this fucking place. Okay, let's go. The blackness is on its way. We've still got plenty of time. What about the last door? What about it? We have the artifact. We've got what we need. Time to go back to Ostium. This is Ostium, and we need to know who or what's behind that last door. Because? Because. Steve. I don't need to say anything. I give a small nod and follow her down the hall. I don't want to point out that that wreck in the last room that looks like something Pinhead from Clive Barker's Hellraiser got at could have also been Steve. Maybe she would have known. Somehow. At the fourth door, I keep back, letting Monica open it. My work here is pretty much done. I'm just here to watch now, I guess. I step into the room beside her, hear her take a breath, and she turns on the light. It's another empty room. But there's a man. He started at the far end of the room beneath the window. There's a massive blood stain on the wall below the window. Maybe a gunshot, or multiple gunshots. Then he dragged himself along the floor. The blood trail makes that abundantly clear. He's only a couple feet from us now, face down on the ground. He looks pretty dead. And then I see the words. Monica! I step further into the room, getting close to the man, so I can read what it says. The look on Monica's face says that she's already done that. In the man's own blood with his finger, he's written two lines on the linoleum floor. The top line says, It's your fault. 
the bottom. Only you can stop it, Monica. My eyes widen, making it feel like my eyeballs may just fall right out of my skull. The blood riding looks very fresh. I kneel down and check the man for a pulse. No, he's gone. I look at Monica. What the the fuck fuck does this mean? Her face is confused, then angry, then undecided. What the hell is going on here? I said, what the fuck does this mean? She closes her eyes and takes a breath again. Do we have time before the blackness? Damn it. I close my eyes and concentrate. Fuck. I get up and storm out of the bedroom. I don't know if Monica's following, and right now I don't give a shit. I thunder down the stairs and out the front door. The blackness is definitely getting closer. I hear Monica close behind me now, and I start jogging. She keeps pace. I go faster, and she keeps pace. I start running as fast as I can. She keeps pace. This just pisses me off more. We reach the door, and I step through. Again, not caring if she comes with me. I half want to slam the thing in her face, but I don't. When we're back at the clock tower, we're going to have words. I go straight to the map table, noticing the number 201 is gold. Monica did take care of this yesterday. Guess she can be trusted about that. The anger is seething through me. I don't think I've ever been this mad before. Definitely not at Monica. I don't really understand or comprehend it. It's like it's been building and building, but I I don't think about it. I didn't feel it. Weighty baggage. It's like I've like I've forgotten. No, I I have forgotten. I can't remember stuff, and it's because of her. It's gotta be. It's what I've thought, but never had the proof, and now a man has sacrificed his life to give me that proof. I look up from the map table, the eyeball artifact hovering over the number, ready to be placed and complete the process. I look at Monica with fury. Jake, I... I can explain. Can you? Yes. She's reaching into her pockets and drawing out gloves, silvery gloves. They look like Michael Jackson's sequin single glove. What the hell? But seeing them has made something happen in my brain. A spark, a thought, an idea, a memory of those gloves coming to me, doing something to me. But what? Monica's coming toward me now with the gloves on. She's saying something, but I can't hear. The blood is rushing in my ears to my brain. And then I remember and drop the artifact. It lands near today's number, stays there for a moment, then rolls on it. Blood-red ruby light explodes up from the number, engulfing the eyeball and pulling it into the map table. The number turns to gold, and everything turns to night.
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I did not know there were different types of darkness until I came to Ostium. Though to be honest, I still don't really know this for a fact, or whether it's a constant of this universe, like shades of blue, for example. But it feels like there are. I've been through a lot of doors and experienced a significant amount of darkness, and honestly, they've all felt a little bit different, like they were different compositions of darkness, different recipes of the black, like different blends of coffee or different types of wine. 
or I could just be spouting a bunch of mumbo jumbo, but this is what ostium has made me become, I think. Maybe I was always like this, and ostium has just helped me release my introspective inner monologue, helped me open my philosophizing senses. I, oh, thank God, light's starting to come through. I felt like I was going to get stuck in that downward contemplative spiral forever. The light comes through steadily and evenly, like when you dive deep into the pool and slowly rise to the surface with your eyes open, watching that sparkling surface get lighter and lighter. And then it gets too bright, and I have to squint. After that non-stop night of that fucked-up house in Fort Bragg, this feels the polar opposite. It's bright blue skies and a burning hot yellow sun shining down on me. It feels glorious. I look around at wide, sweeping vistas, and... This is starting to seem familiar, like a little too familiar. And I'm not talking familiar as in it's a place I've been to and learned about at some point in my past. I mean, it's a familiar place because I've been here recently, in the last week or two, in Ostium. It's Africa, South Africa, where we were however many days ago it was, after the whole earthquake and opening up of the bowels of Ostium and then the magical undoing of all that. This was where the cave of the skull cult was. I scan around, turning as needed, to see if I can spot it from where I'm standing. I make an almost complete circle before I find it, a couple hundred yards away down the hill. But that's secondary now to something I've just realized. There's no door behind me. I didn't come through a door, which doesn't seem right. That's not the modus operandi of Ostium. I think back to what I was doing this just before I came here. It takes a while, which it shouldn't. Why? My head feels kind of mushy, like I just rolled down the hill. Let's try to concentrate here. Focus. Well, shouldn't Monica be here too if I came through a door? Yeah, definitely. We've been together in many senses of the word for some time now. She should be here, with me, exploring Ostium, no doubt. So, we've got no door and no Monica. A double whammy of weirdness. So what was I doing just before it got all dark and I ended up here? Think. 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 I was with Monica, back in that dark, fucking creepy place in Fort Bragg the place I stayed at with Anne. Only, it wasn't really that place. It was a fucked-up ostium version with a dose of Ozzy Osbourne and a couple of the Saw movies thrown in for spice. We were in the last room. That's it. We were having a confrontation. No. No, I... I was really pissed at her. Fucking furious. For not telling me something. The words. The words that were written in blood on the floor. Like fucking deep throat. Trust no one. That's why I think it hit me so hard. The inferred reference in the actual words. What were they? Something like how it's, it's all Monica's fault and she can stop it all anytime she wants. 
What does that mean? She has some control? That she's in control? That was what I was so angry about, that she'd been holding out on me again. She knew things about Ostium, and she wasn't telling me. I know we have our secrets with each other, but then who doesn't? But when it comes to Ostium, that's the sort of stuff we share. We have to share. This hadn't felt like the first time, either. I've been suspicious of Monica before. Never had any proof, just hints and curiosities here and there. This was something concrete. Bloody concrete. Or bloody linoleum. (laughs) But that wasn't everything. No. We came back to Ostium, went through the door, got back to the clock tower. I was at the map table, all ready to put the eyeball on top of the door number. I started yelling at her, demanding answers. That was it. She said that she would tell me. Tell me everything. But at the same time, she was doing something. Reaching for something. Her pockets. She was taking something out of her pockets. Gloves. Those glittering sequin gloves. Michael Jackson gloves. That's what they reminded me of. They were familiar to me. I'd seen them before at some point with her. I was scared of them. Scared of her using them. Scared of her using them on me. That was it. I don't remember when it happened, but it had. Maybe more than once. Whatever they did, it wasn't fun. It made me want to be anywhere but where they were, even if Monica was there. And then, then I dropped the eyeball artifact. That's right, and it rolled onto the door. There was a bright red light, and then everything went black. And now I'm here, back in South Africa, many thousands of years ago. That ain't right. I sit down on the grassy hill, taking in the sights and smells, and think about what the hell I'm going to do. What are my options? Well, it depends. Am I trapped here? I listen and look for any sign of the darkness. Negative on both those fronts. I find where I have my mental block of the blackness and slowly lift it off. If the blackness suddenly surges, I'm ready to enforce it again, but nothing happens. Wherever or whatever this is... There's no blackness here, somehow. Well, that's definitely an advantage. So, next consideration. Am I trapped here? Good question. It's going to need a good, hard, firm answer, not just vague hopes and theories. So the next logical step is to go down to the cave and see if there's a door there, anything like it. Sounds like a plan. I stand up and take a single step down the hill and then stop and throw myself behind a nearby boulder. Landing on my side, elbow out, I'm grazed and bruised, but nothing broken. Good. I slowly peek around the rock and look down toward the cave. There are two people who have come out of it. It takes me all of three seconds to recognize myself and Monica. Okay, now, I know 
where I thought I was and I also know when. I watch us look around, then turn and go back inside. I go first, and Monica makes a move to follow and then stops. She turns around and begins searching through the pockets of her coat she's wearing. She's looking for something. Then she draws out those glittering gloves again and puts them in the front pockets of her khaki pants, ready for easy access and use. Then she goes back inside the cave. And I had no idea. She's been doing this for a long time. Maybe from the very beginning. She must have. And if she has these special gloves that do something which scares the shit out of me, what else does she know or have? Making the call, I start walking down the hill. I know pretty much everything going on inside that cave right now. Once I found the first skull, I remember Monica was right by my side. It doesn't take long to reach the bottom of the hill, long enough for the other me to reach the far end of the cave. I stand at the entrance, weighing my options. It's not like I have a ton of doors to choose from here. And I know there's a door just a little further along in this cave. So, what options do I have? It's pretty much this one choice, or start gallivanting around the African plains looking for another door that in all likelihood is not there. I step into the cave, treading slowly and carefully, trying to be as quiet as possible. I can hear echoing voices and sounds. It'll mask most of mine, but I can't be 100% certain. I've watched the Back to the Future movies thousands of times, read tons of books on time travel, as well as many other movies. I know every writer has their own way of interpreting the space-time continuum and what rules do and do not or may and may not apply. I don't want to find out what happens if I confront my other self in one of these created worlds of Ostium. It can't be good. Also, if we're going to hold one rule of time travel to be true, it's this. My other self isn't going to hear me and find me right now because the other me never did the first time I was in the cave. If you get my meaning. Last time I was here, I didn't see another me. Ergo, I should be safe. But you can never be too sure when it comes to time travel. I creep up to the door, which is open and inviting in the wall of the cave. There's no ostium on the other side. Just blackness. I can't remember if it's how it was the first time I came through here. But again, I'm all out of options. I step through into the darkness again. All dark, like before, and then lights start coming through. Only it's a different light this time. Whiter. Bright in a different way. And then I feel the temperature, the drastic change from that enjoyable dry heat to this freezing snow. Because I'm in a blizzard. It's great. Snow is flying all around me and I can't see shit. I start running in no particular direction looking for shelter if I'm still in South Africa somehow and now there's a sudden blizzard there should still be a cave or rock outcropping to help me in some way but I have no clue where I am right now due to the zero visibility then I see a shadow within the white I head towards it and find a ladder can't afford to waste time I climb it and enter a small hut 
Once inside, I follow the ground on top of animal skins and furs. Perfect. I find another piled up nearby. I grab one, then two, and wrap them around me. This will definitely help with the cold. I huddle down, wrapped in the skins of other animals, and slowly stop shivering. When my teeth stop chattering, I know I'm going to be all right. And then it comes to me. Anjakuni, the Inuit village, the blizzard. Yes, it's all coming back to me now. It was the next door after the skull cult of South Africa. Okay, well, instead of getting back to Ostium as I had hoped, the door took me to here, the next door after South Africa. Is this the start of a pattern for whatever journey or mission I'm on? Could be. My quest seems to have a direction. Good. That's the sort of thing I need. The conditions I thrive in. So next question is, what is Ostium trying to teach me with this? This is all happening for a reason, right? So I'm supposed to get something out of it. What? At the end, will I possibly have some answers to Ostium and my link to it? I take a look around the inside of the raised hut and see the little polar bear artifact. Oh, shit. If the time continuum is continuing in the same way here as it did with the door to the skull cult, then I can't have much time. I keep the furs wrapped around me. It's too fucking cold to leave them behind. Plus, the other me already had furs from one of the other huts, so the fact that some are missing in this hut shouldn't be noticed. I peek my head through the hole covered by a skin and check for any signs that other me and Monica are approaching. I can hear crunching feet in the snow, but they sound pretty far away. Not bothering with the ladder, I jump down and start running away. Then I stop and head back, and this time as I move away I drag my foot, breaking apart my retreating footsteps. Other me and Monica probably won't notice, but I can't afford to take the chance. I go back about 20 feet. I can't find another hut, so I'll just have to hunker down in the snow here and assume I won't get spotted. I naturally fled in the opposite direction to where I heard the snow-crunching footsteps, but the furs are doing their job well, and other than a cold head, I'm staying decently warm, or at least not cold. I wait, and soon two shapes appear from the blizzard arriving at the hut. They both go inside. Time passes. Then another me comes out, the artifact in hand. I think for a split second what would have happened with the continuum if I'd taken that artifact just now. I can't stop myself from shivering, and I'm pretty sure it has only a little to do with the cold. Other me is standing there, waiting for Monica. That's right. She did take a little while coming back. What was that about? Was she doing something in there? Getting her special gloves ready again, just in case. Then Monica's coming down the ladder. Other me is trying to decide which way to go now, whether to try to find the original door or somehow find another one. Monica is also looking around, but it seems like she's trying to find something else. Her eyes pass over the area where I'm huddled. I can barely see them in this blizzard. It's getting worse by the minute. So she shouldn't be able to see me, and yet I swear she spends a few seconds on me before continuing to scan around. Maybe she's looking for Steve? Could be. Don't know why he'd be huddled out in the snow like this, though, even if I am right now. 
Then they're off in search of another door back to Ostium, and I slowly follow in their general direction. Should be enough to find that last hut. I stop once they've found it, keeping my distance again. They kiss, and I remember how warm it felt at the time. If I were kissing her now, I think it would feel a lot colder. Then they're going through the door and back to the clock tower. I run towards it, stopping just in front of the door. The run helped a little with the warmth. This cold is starting to seep into my bones, even with the furs. This time I climb into the blackness, half wishing I might end up in Ostium. <sighs> At least it would be warm there. A new darkness, a new place, but it's definitely warmer and dry. Sticking to the agenda, I find myself in the humming environment of a starship. I have the same thrills in this place as the first time, like being on the Enterprise. Literally, every Trekkie's perfect dream. I try my best to recall our steps here, what we did before, the turbo lift as I called it. The trip to the bridge and then to the hangar where Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 were. That's it. So, where am I now? I look around and I find a completely empty room. Well, that's helpful. I have little option but to go through the door and see what's on the other side. He whooshes open and I wait, not revealing myself, listening for any voices or footsteps. It sounds quiet. I poke my head out and discover the coast is clear. I step out and try to familiarize myself. It's the hallway where Monica and I first arrived here. I can see the door marked with Ostium. Okay. Which means that the other door at the other end is the turbo lift. Good. I have no idea how much time I have here, and it's not like the other doors. I don't have long-range views of everything going on, meaning the other me and Monica could come through that turbo lift door at any second. I can't take the risk. I make my way toward the ostium door, but I'm stopped in my tracks at a sound. Was that a door opening somewhere nearby? It sounded real close, but other me never went through a door close to here other than the turbolift door and the one that leads back to ostium. So what the hell is that? I jog over to the window real quick just in case I see anything new out there I didn't see last time. I don't, but it's still an incredible sight. Okay, I choose another door that we just walked by last time. It's kind of inconspicuous, but it's in the vicinity where the sound came from. It whooshes open and I peek through. Like crossing a road, I look left and then right. No one here. But to the right, at the end of this short hallway, is another door. That was probably the door I heard opening and closing. I jog over to it and jump to the side as it opens. I peek around and see something I never expected to see. A person at the far end of the hallway walking away. It's a man. Pretty tall. Black hair. Can't make out much else. Dressed in a coat and jeans. I don't recognize anything about him. I'm torn whether to say anything. Get his attention. He's moving pretty fast, like he wants to get away from something or get somewhere fast. 
I don't know what to do because there will be repercussions, whatever I decide to do. Possibly grave repercussions. And then I'm out of time. He's through the door and it closes behind him. Shit. Or maybe not. But what if it was Steve? That has me running toward the door as fast as I can go. I reach it and it opens another hallway. This one has many doors, but no signs of the man who went through. I could try and find him. It's obviously important. But there are a lot of doors. And I'm also getting further away from that ostium door with each hallway, which increases my chance of getting completely lost and not being able to find my way back to that door. No, I'm not going to risk it. If we're meant to cross paths again through the doors of Ostium, we will. And if it is Steve, he seems alive and well, which is something. I make my way back through the hallways and get to the one leading to the Ostium door. I peek around and watch the turbo lift doors. Shit. There's other me and Monica. I'm ducking back in the hallway and running for the other door. As soon as it opens, I duck inside and hide from view. Then I wait and listen, holding my breath. (sighs) Okay, I think I'm in the clear. But I'm going to give it a good five minutes to be sure. Then I go back to the hallway and see the ostium door closed with no signs of other me or Monica. Good. I can't help wondering if I've already changed something. When we originally came back down that hallway, we were running from the blackness. I never took the time to check on a sound I never heard. Now that's changed. But I'm still here and I feel the same, so... Looks like nothing major got changed with the space-time continuum. Got to be more careful with that from now on. All right, then. On to the next place. I step through the ostium door and find myself... In Colombia? Well, that's what I'm guessing. I do a full turn and confirm this. Yep. I'm on the ground floor of the Columbia City Hotel, where I stayed once with Anne, and where Monica and I visited through door 325 just four days ago. It feels much longer than that, weeks ago, and at the same time, much sooner, like yesterday. I see all the familiar furnishings, the board games and books. Nothing has changed, unsurprisingly. I wonder where the other me and Monica are. I stand still, but don't hear any movements upstairs. In an old wooden building like this, you could hear a person walking around in their room at the far end of the hallway with all the creakings and groanings. Groanings of wood, that is, not supernatural. But that means other me and Monica are outside, on their way here. I step to the window and look through. Shit. I see other me and Monica just 20 feet away. Fuck. What do I do? First thing, I launch myself up the stairs, going as fast as I can without tripping and falling all the way down to the bottom. The 
sound is like a whole forest crashing to the ground. I hope my foot doesn't go through one of these stairs. It doesn't. And soon I'm on the top and quickly walking down the hallway. I don't have long to decide what room to go into. I cast my mind back quick to what we did. We checked every single room. Well, that's fantastic. I've got absolutely nowhere to hide. And then I remember. I run over to the door on the left, marked shower, and step inside. The water isn't running and there's no one in here. Good. If the water had been, I would have lost my shit. I close the door behind me. That's when I hear the door downstairs creak open and voices. They're here. I pull the shower curtain back slowly just a little and step into the bathtub, trying to make as little noise as possible. So should I turn the water on now? Wait a bit. I'm trying to remember what I heard last time, when I noticed. It wasn't until Monica opened the door that we heard the water running. Could that be because this bathroom is pretty soundproof? Has new and modern plumbing for noise reduction? Unlikely, but we saw steam billowing out over the shower curtain, meaning the hot water was running. So do I run it now or wait? Maybe it takes a while to get hot. But if I turn it on now, it might be wrong. It might be too loud. They might hear and come check this door out first. That would fuck everything up. Once again, I just can't take the chance. They're upstairs now, anyway, so I'm out of time. I wait with my hand on the hot water faucet, making sure the shower setting is turned on. I aim the shower head away from me so I don't get totally soaked. It's not exactly a comfortable position, hunched over like this, but it shouldn't be long. I hear doors opening and chatter, but can't make out the words. I count down the doors as other me and Monica come closer. One, slam. Two, slam. Three, close. Four, close. Five, close. Six. Then I hear a muffled yell. Close. This door is next. I count to three, then turn the water on. I'm getting a little wet, but not much and the water's coming out boiling hot. Clouds of steam soon start forming and billowing upward. The door opens. I count slowly to three in my head, remembering the steps. Then I turn the water off. Part of my coat has gotten pretty wet and drags along the water, making a strange sound. Was that right? I reach for the shower curtain, rattle the rings a little, then slowly start pulling them open. The door slams. I let out a long, pent-up breath. Whew. I got through the first act. Now to get ready for the second. I close the shower curtain fully again and stand close to the faucet, opening the curtain a little at this end. I want to watch them go through and see how it looks from an outsider's angle. I can see the window. It's closed and looks like an ordinary window, nothing like a door. A sense of dread steals over me. Was that right? Did I do something wrong? When is it supposed to change into a door? I don't know. So I just wait, imagining them going through the other doors, getting one piece of the artifact, then the other, and now they're coming back, quickly running out of time with the blackness coming. But I can't hear a thing. To me, 
there is no encroaching blackness. Weird. Then they throw open the shower room door. I'm still staring at the window, and as the door is opened, it magically transforms into a solid pane of glass with a glass doorknob on its side. Wow. They run inside, other me throwing it open. You first! Monica starts to go through. I wonder with me not hearing or sensing the blackness at all if I'm in a different dimension or phase to them here. Can they actually see me? Can I touch them? Or are we all ghosts? Other me is about to go through the door. On impulse, I reach out with my hand behind him just to see if I can feel him. But he sees the hand coming at him out of the corner of his eye. Fuck! He tumbles through the door and closes it, and that's the end of that. I step out of the shower, wondering. I'd forgotten about the arm reaching for me when I went through the glass door. Could I have touched him? I still don't have an answer. I leave the shower room and figure I have to go all the way back down Main Street to get to that original door that leads to Ostian, right? As I'm thinking, I see a ghost walk down the hallway. No, it's Anne. A ghost form of her. In a different time. A different life. But as she passes through, I feel a coolness descend over me, forcing a shiver. She stops just a second and looks back, as if she's felt something, then continues to our room where presumably the ghost me is waiting for her. She never mentioned any strange experiences. Then I decide, no, I'm going to give that door a try. It worked for other me and Monica, so why not me in the present? I go back into the shower room, hopefully for the last time, and I try the glass door. It opens on blackness. I climb through. And just like that, I'm back in the desert, the land of the Anasazi, the ancient ones. And thankfully, I check my surroundings fully before taking a step, because if I'd taken a couple, I might have got right off the edge of the ledge and plummeted to my death below, no matter what phase or state I'm in. And other me and Monica would have had no clue who would just plunge to a hard end. Speaking of which, where are they? I really hope they're above me, but first I gingerly look down, since that's easier, and there they are below, on the first ledge. What the fuck, Ostium? You're not making this easy on me. What's the logic in this? Do you want past me and present me to meet face to face? So what the hell am I going to do now? And as usual, I don't have much time. I look around and head for the nearby granary. Like the others, it's got a bunch of picked corn in it, unshucked and waiting to be eaten. I don't have any other option. I start digging myself a hole, moving the corn around and stacking it so it still looks right. Then I carefully climb in and bury myself in the many ears. There's a lot of gaps to allow me to breathe, and I'm not too uncomfortable. A few corn points digging into me, but nothing I can't handle. And then I wait, and wait, and wait. I know it's going to take a while. Climbing up those tree ladders was no walk in the park. 
Then I hear them coming and switch to statue mode, keeping perfectly still and holding my breath. I can see them through a chink in the corn and watch as they walk through, quiet and reserved. Other me stops for a moment and looks down at some corn on the ground. Shit. Some must have fallen. But then it continues on and I'm off the hook. I wait until I hear them climbing the next tree ladder and wait some more until I'm pretty sure they're on the next ledge. The last one that leads to the cave with the artifact and the door and then I break free of my maze prison. It was anything but amazing. Get it? Because, you know, maize is corn. I leave the granary, but keep close to the wall, so I remain out of sight of other me or Monica looking down. I look out at the incredible view from up here. It's just breathtaking. And then I see movement. But it's really far away. I wish I had a pair of binoculars. It's definitely a person, far away, walking among the rocks. I can make out black hair. It's got to be that guy I saw earlier. Maybe Steve. Or one of those military guys who's somehow still alive. But he's not in camo gear. Did he come through the door that other me and Monica came through? He's walking around like he's looking for something. Probably a door. Maybe someone else. Like what? No clue. He goes behind a rock and that's all I see of him doesn't come out the other side. He's just gone. I was going to follow other me and Monica up to that door in the cave, but I think I'm going to go down now. I need to just look around down there and see if I can see anything. But I can't go now. I need to know other me and Monica are completely gone. So I wait for a whole 15 minutes. It's agonizing, but the view is still great. Then I start making my way down taking it real slow on those tree ladders. It's actually not too hard, as long as you take it slow. Another 15 minutes and I finally make it to the bottom, on solid ground. And then I spend yet another 15 minutes looking around, trying to find where this guy might have gone, and if there's any evidence of him around here. Or perhaps I'm just losing my freaking mind on this mandatory trip down Ostia memory lane. I don't really find anything, though there are some footprints but I'm not enough of a tracker to follow them or work out whose is whose. Then I call it and look for the door that is sitting around out here. It doesn't take me long, and I prepare myself for some Moai action. Another sunny day, blue skies, grassy fields. I'm in the middle of somewhere, not sure where Ostium has dumped me now, and this whole thing is starting to take its toll. It wasn't like I started this fucked up road trip on a long good night's sleep. It was at the end of a considerable amount of time through one of, if not the most stressful doors Ostium has taken us to so far, and I'm starting to feel pretty wiped. No food, no water, just walking and looking for answers. I've learned some interesting things, but not sure where this is all going. I'm huddling behind a moai because I don't know where other me and Monica are right now, so I can't blindly go walking around. I peek around and see no one on the other side. 
I cross a few hills and hide behind the next moai and go through the same routine. This time I see something. It's Monica and other me doing the dirty on the grass right in front of the moai I'm hiding behind. Before you ask, no, I'm not going to watch. And I'm recording the specific commentary after I've put plenty of distance between me and those two lovebirds. Though that seems like a weird way to put it, since I am one of those said lovebirds. I couldn't help gasping when I saw them. It's really um, discombobulating to see yourself um, live, so to speak, in coitus with someone. Fortunately, the groans and good times happening guaranteed I wasn't heard. At this point, I don't care what Ostium is trying to show me here on Rapa Nui. I'm done with this place. I go in search of the door, looking for indicators of familiarity. That photographic memory coming in handy yet again. And there's the door, and I leave the lover's den. This is what it all comes down to, I hope. I don't know if I'm going to have to live through that experience in Fort Bragg again. And if so, what happens after that? Am I trapped in my own Groundhog Day? Doomed to live through these doors and worlds over and over? If that's the case, obviously having sex with the girl isn't the solution, since that's happening on the other side of one of those doors. No, the more I think about it, It's got to be here. Things come to a caustic head with what I'm now calling the Hell House and then back at the clock tower. And while they likely began their inkling form long ago, the world of the Dyson Sphere was where the fire really began. That's what I feel. That's what my logical brain is telling me. But I don't have the specifics because I have a big black hole in my memory about the place. Because in... Now it seems obvious, Monica must have used her special gloves on me because of what I saw or what I said or all of the above. And that's when I have a wonderful, awful idea. I'm going to need to check something on my phone real quick. I'll give you a hint. A recording. See if you can work out what I'm talking about by the time I get back. Bye for now. Well, (laughs) now I've uh, got the proof I wasn't so sure about. I also have a much better idea about what happened to me in this place. I went back and checked the recording. I knew something happened to me. I was pretty sure Monica did something to me, but I didn't know what. Turns out, Monica took care of me, but forgot to take care of the recording. It's all there. My voice and hers. I heard the whole part about the photo and story about me in that glass case, the pressure it put on me, how I pretty much lost it in there, and then Monica coming at me with the gloves. There's a sizzling sound and then a thump 
which is presumably me hitting the floor like a sack of potatoes. Then there are a few signs I can't really identify. I'm going to guess it's Monica finding and picking up the artifact. Then there's a grunt from her as she throws me over her shoulder and carries me back to the clock tower. And there you have it. She probably has her reasons for doing all this, just like she was going to tell me before this whole grand adventure started. But once again, I'm fucking incensed. Was the sex just a smokescreen all along? I don't know. I'm not going to suppose and dig through that baggage. Maybe another time. But it it means something big has to happen to break this ongoing pantomime, this groundhog day from hell. Something to break the mold, throw the train off the rails, disrupt the space-time continuum. I know, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, but sometimes sacrifices have to be made and risks have to be taken. You know that more than anyone. I start walking through the doors, being noisy, not caring, trying to get my bearings. Then I find the big hangar-sized museum room. I start marching, spotting my photo in the glass case from afar. It's big, and I know my mug real well. And beside it, I see my crumpled form. Monica's crouched beside the other me, putting the little artifact ball in her pocket. I walk up to her with loud, heavy footfalls. Her body becomes tense, ramrod straight. Slowly, she turns around, and her mouth literally drops open when she sees me. This ends now. She looks back at the crumpled form other me, then back to present me. This charade is fucking over. She's stunned, speechless. Her eyes are so wide, like saucers. I know what you did here. I saw it. I saw you try to do it again later. You've done it to me before, multiple times. That's why my mind's all fucked up, isn't it? She still says nothing. Isn't it? Yes. Hearing her actually say it, finally say it, disarms me a little, cools me. I, I just want to know why. Why, Monica? Monica takes another look at the collapsed other me, then looks back. Because you knew too much. You were learning too much. Because you were going to find out, and I couldn't let that happen. Why? Because it would start the avalanche. You'd know a little, then you'd find out more, then you'd figure out even more, and that can't happen. Why can't it? I thought we were a team. I thought we were... close. The fucking was real. It, I never faked it. It was fun. But I was also controlling you. Why? Because I had to. Because it was part of the rules. <laughs> it was the main rule. What? What rules? What are you even talking about? If you knew everything, if you got all the answers you keep looking for, it would be the end of Ostium. The end of me and the end of finding Steve. I still don't understand. How could it be the end? Why am I so tied to Ostium? Honestly, Jake, I don't even know the answer to that. That's a big mystery to me. And I still have no fucking clue. So, what do you know? What can you tell me without ending all this? (sighs) I can tell you, Ostium isn't what you think it is. It's something very different and much greater. With such potential... That British friend of yours, Dave, he actually had it almost right. But then they had to come in here and fuck it all up. They? Your military friends? They were never my friends. 
They were, I guess you'd call them my co-workers, and they weren't military. What were they? Shake of the head, she can't say. What about you? Were you military? Another shake of the head. So all this time, it's been lie after fucking lie. Not, not all of it, Jake. It's been a mixture, a cocktail. There's a smirk on her face now. She's trying to win me over. And what about Steve? How does he fit into all this? She takes her time to answer, thinking long and hard. He's not military either, and he's not a crush of mine. He's someone I care greatly about, someone I love. He's my son. Now it's my turn for widening eyes of disbelief and impossibility. What? He was the first of us to come to Ostium, when it was ready to receive visitors. He didn't know what he was getting into. They didn't know what he was getting into. They hadn't a fucking clue. And when I found out, I lost my shit. But I got here as fast as I could, and they followed. And I did what needed to be done. I took care of them. I got back at them for what they did to my Steve. And I still don't know where he is, or if he's alive or hurt. I have to find him, Jake. I have to. It's killing me inside. How did I end up in Ostium? I don't know, Jake. You're the misnomer here. The anomaly. The impossibility. But you are connected. Somehow. That's why I changed the game plan and started working with you from the beginning. Apart from occasionally wiping my mind with shock therapy. I'm, I'm sorry, Jake. I did what I thought was right. I did what I thought needed to be done to protect myself, to protect Ostium so it would keep existing, and to protect Steve. I look at my feet, millions of thoughts and questions running through my mind. I've gotten some answers, but there are so many more questions again, and Monica's only giving me so much. I raise my head to ask one that she might answer, but that's when there's a terrible crunching sound and the floor starts to tilt. Claxons begin screaming and something is horribly wrong. It's the blackness, Jake. It's attacking the Dyson Sphere. We have to get the fuck out of here. She bends down and throws the other me over her shoulder like it's no big deal. Then she's heading back for the door to Ostium. I follow slowly behind, my mind still abuzz. I hadn't heard or felt the blackness, but it's definitely doing something to this place. Whether it's mattered with the earlier doors, in this place it can clearly do me harm. I keep pace with Monica, not wanting to lose her. It's important that we all get out of this if things are to go on. They're not going to be normal, by any means. But when is anything ever normal in Austin? How will we regroup and go on from here, I don't know. How the timeline will get fixed when I go through the door, I don't know either. But Ostium will have a way. It has with everything else so far. I'm sure after lots of tea and rest and talking, we might be able to salvage something of our friendship, especially if she continues to give me answers, tell me what she knows about this place. At the same time, my science fiction mind is worrying going through the literature, checking the research, analyzing the theories, and calculating the math. And there's only one definite answer at the end of it. I follow Monica up to the door back to Ostium. She looks back to make sure I'm with her. I'm not sure if she's thought about the repercussions of me going through, of there being two me's in Ostium, but she doesn't seem to have a problem with it. Ready? 
she says as she throws open the door and takes a step. No. Monica stops and looks at me. What? I can't go. What? Why? Because of the rules. It feels really good to throw the line back at her. There's two of us, Monica. A paradox. In science and reality, it's not allowed. Only you and other me can go back to your time. I'm from a different one. An alternate one. What the fuck are you saying, Jake? The blackness will fucking kill you. I know. I know. But the space-time continuum has already been fucking up enough. Me going with you might cause space-time disruptions that could have an effect on the entire universe. You don't know that. No, I don't. But I also don't know that it won't happen. Like, when they turned on the Large Hadron Collider for the first time, there was an infinitesimal chance that it would create a black hole that would engulf the entire planet. It didn't happen. There's a chance now, with me going through. I'm not willing to take that chance. But, but what... What if I changed things in my time? Told the other you about what I know. Tried to change the way things turn out. No. No. You can never do that. It needs to continue along as it already has. You need to be you and say nothing. So that we could get to this moment again. Changing a little thing could have a catastrophic knock-on effect. <sighs> Butterfly effect. Yes, I say with a smile. And we're completely out of time. Go now, while you still have the chance. Monica wants to do something. A hug. A kiss. Something. But she doesn't have the time. She turns and jumps through the doorway. Moments later, the blackness. When I go through to the other side, I drop Jake. He'll get a few bruises, no worries. I turn and I hold the door open. I watch as the blackness comes and covers this other Jake, engulfing him, obliterating him, making him nothing. Then it keeps coming and the tentacles start reaching through the doorway. I let go of the door and jump back. The door slams shut. That was the end of Jake.